Good morning, Advent Lutheran Church and those that are following along to our Bible studies here on Sunday. Uh, good to see you today. Happy Father's Day to all the uh, dads. Remember that uh, God, our Father, is our true Father, and through Jesus Christ now we are His true sons. Um, so whenever we celebrate uh, Happy Father's Day, Happy Mother's Day, let's always make sure to uh, properly understand that according to what Scripture reveals and to what God has given as well. Okay, Lots of stuff going on in the world. I don't want to get too much into some of the, oh my, yeah, some of, of what's going on. I would encourage you to read Scripture, study, to pray, to be discerning with the truth of God's Word as you formulate opinions, decide what to participate in, what not to participate in. Um, it's very easy to kind of become a follower or get sucked up on the bandwagon of certain movements, uh, but uh, make sure you do your homework. And remember as well that for us, truth and wisdom begins with Christ and begins with His Word as well. Okay, uh, A couple of items just uh, in general of information. Today at 12.30 p.m., we are going to have our annual voters meeting. That will take place in the sanctuary to uh, better facilitate uh, social distancing and space. So uh, please come and join us. Uh, if you are not coming to join us in person and you still desire to be a part of the meeting and even to vote, um, and that might be closed by now. I, yeah, I think it is. I think you had to email Heidi, our secretary, by yesterday uh, to get that taken care of. Um, and uh, so... Uh, but um, so that's what's going on today. Um, what else, Pastor Grady? Any other announcements we want to share with the congregation? Vacation time is obviously coming up for many of you and for us as well. Um, I will be off not this next week, but the week after for a little while, uh, and then Pastor Grady and I will both be taking some family vacation time in mid to late July. Um, oh, this coming Sunday, June 28th, uh, which is a Sunday I'm gone, Dr. Reverend Dr. Art Just, and if you've been here at Advent before, you know who he is, a uh, good friend of uh, Pastor and Mrs. Feeney. Um, he's a professor up at uh, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. He is also one of the missionaries that we support. Uh, he's doing uh, mission work uh, in Spain, uh, Hispanic uh, outreach, um, and has also been involved, uh, I believe, with the seminary down in uh, the Dominican Republic, where we also support uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, David Preuss. But uh, Dr. Just will be here on sun next Sunday, the 28th. He will preach at both services, and I think I mentioned him in my sermon. He'll probably talk about table fellowship, uh, which it's hard not to when you get into the section of Luke that we're in, in the historic uh, lectionary. Um, eating and drinking and what that means. But then during the Bible class hour next week, he's going to present on his mission work that we support each year directly out of our budget. So we are going to open that Bible class up to anybody that wants to attend. It'll be here in the fellowship hall. Um, our regular Bible class with donuts and coffee, that's going to start Sunday, July 5th. Okay, So Sunday, July 5th, you can come back to Bible class We'll have donuts. We'll have coffee. Uh, we've got enough space here in the fellowship hall for people to spread out. Um, no Sunday school. Kind of taking the summer off of that. Obviously, vacation Bible school is canceled as well. Uh, so we are making plans for the fall uh, in terms of activities. So we're getting back into kind of our normal routines, which is good. Okay. Um, thanks be to God for that. Okay. 
Any other announcements that I can think of? Oh, yes, there is a July 4th picnic uh, here at our facility outside on our property. So the fireworks for Zionsville move this year. Normally they are at Lions Park and they have a big to-do and hoopla there. Uh, they moved it out to uh, Mulberry Fields, which is just a little further away, but we should still be able to see them. So July 4th, uh, and you need to sign up online. So on Sign Up Genius, or you go to our website, there's a link. Uh, July 4th, and I can't remember what time it starts, 5 or 6. Bring your own you know, food, blankets. This is kind of going to take the place of our annual church picnic. Um, and you can come out here and uh, hang out uh, with uh, family and friends from church. And, um, and I think the fellowship uh, Board of Fellowship is also looking maybe at doing another similar event to that at some point later on. So we'll kind of see. Okay. What else? Anything else I'm missing? I think that's probably about it. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into our study here with uh, Professor Marquardt, uh, the book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People. If you have the book itself, uh, we are on uh, top of page 152, uh, and, and which is just the very end of chapter 8. So we're going we're gonna to start a new chapter today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So we're getting there. Okay. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, since you never fail to help and govern those whom you nurture in your steadfast fear and love, work in us a perpetual fear and love of your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So chapter 8 has been about uh, the one holy church on earth and in heaven. And last week we talked about Christ's return. Uh, we learned that we as Lutherans are amillennialists or amillennialists, which means that uh, we believe, as Scripture says, that we are living in the last thousand years now. And the thousand years from Revelation um, are figurative, representing the end time. So the end times, that thousand years, refers to all the time after Christ's ascension into heaven, until that time that he will return. So we are living in the end times now, and we are called, as with uh, the parable of the ten virgins, to keep oil in our lamps, to have faith, uh, and that's kind of what the oil is, to have faith, have the Holy Spirit, uh, and to await our Lord's return, to always be prepared for that. And so, especially with for example, what's going on in the world now, and not just with COVID, but with the riots, with civil unrest, um, <laughs> it's very easy to think, boy, is this, is Jesus going to return? Yes. When? I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we tend to kind of think about that when things get bad, but you know, it could be when things get good again. Um, so we're just called as Christians to always look forward to that to continue to work, to have hope, and remember that, uh, you know, uh, perseverance, uh, suffering produces character, character produces hope, and hope never disappoints because our hope is found, founded upon Christ, right? Who, as we sang in our, our closing hymn, and we'll sing again here in the late service, he is our cornerstone, right? Uh, so so he, he is that, that rock, uh, and, and that's our confession of faith. And so, Christ will keep us through all these things, and he will even preserve his church, okay? All right, let's, uh, let's get there to the bottom, page 151, uh, top page 152. 
Uh, so as we're talking about Christ's return, Luke 24, 44 to 47, and you can read it with me if you want. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So it's only through Jesus, who sends the Holy Spirit, that one's mind can be open. This is why we confess in the small catechism uh, that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has enlightened me with the gospel. So the Holy Spirit comes through the word of God and, and does his work. Okay? Now, can someone reject that? Of course they can. Okay? Uh, they can reject now uh, the truth that God gives. So part of the challenge that we would have today is there are certain um, you know, people, groups, organizations that would claim to have the truth. And so whenever you hear that, when you hear about unity, when you hear about peace, your, your ears need to perk up. And you need to make sure that you read and study, is what this person, this organization teaching or modeling, is it correct according to Holy Scripture? And if it's not, then Jesus says, you need to flee. You need to flee and run away from the wolf or the wolves that are out there. Okay, um, And so... You know, and Pastor Just will, Dr. Just will talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure, next week. If he doesn't, he's written a lot about it. What table fellowship means and what it means to share your confession of faith with others and when and how you can stand alongside of other people. You know, when is the appropriate time to do that? Uh, to protest, to give your amen. And those are things we need to be, be very mindful of. So the Holy Spirit opens our mind to understand what Jesus says this that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So we always preach, and Paul talks about this, Christ's crucifixion. We preach Christ crucified. So if you're one of those people who say, well, oh, hey, you guys got a new processional crucifix. Man, that's so Roman Catholic. I don't want anything to do with a crucifix. Really? Scripture says Christ crucified, and Jesus himself says, that this is what is written. You need to learn about Christ's suffering and his rising from the dead, right? Um, so, yes, uh, crucifixion and resurrection, both things on the third day. And then pay a special attention to what Jesus says here. Repentance will be preached. Now, how is repentance preached? The first thing is that sin is identified. So if you come across an organization that, uh, or a person who is saying, hey, join with me, this is unjust, you know, we're going to protest against that. But out of their same mouth, they say, doesn't matter your sexual orientation. Babies in the womb aren't really babies. You can abort them. Okay? Uh, families, doesn't matter. You know, you can have whatever type of family you want. You know, if you're male and want to be female, you can do that as well. You're female and want to be male, that doesn't matter. Just join with us in unity. Now, I'm going to be very direct with you here. That is contrary to Scripture. All those things I just said, contrary to Holy Scripture, contrary to God's Word. So should we love and care for our neighbor? Absolutely. Okay? I mean, all lives matter, obviously, and i got to be careful saying that. Some of you might email me. Uh, God cares for all people of all race, color, and creed. For whom did Jesus die? All people. 
not just those that had it figured out or not just the Jews, okay, his chosen race. Christ has come for all people. Um, So repentance now being preached means that the church and you and I as Christians need to stand on God's word and we need to speak up to that. And so I think one of the challenges, and, and I'm I mean, I have to apologize. I feel many times that there are things that I haven't spoken out on that I should have. You know, I think about that not just in my family, um, but, you know, sometimes we're so afraid of having backlash or, you, you know, that, that, old, uh, <laughs> that old adage when you go to family religions. What are the two things you don't talk about? Religion and politics, right? Um, and... Yeah, and so we're always, I mean, it's true, isn't it? We're always trying to kind of balance that line, right? But have you felt that way before? Felt guilty for not speaking up on something, you know, that not just a family member, but something else that came up and you just, you didn't want to deal with it or you didn't want to be in the crosshairs of someone or something else. And so, you know, I think we as Christians, we need to, you know, when Paul talks about it, he says you're putting on the armor of God. You know, the sword of truth, you know, the, the breastplate of, of, of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. You know, so when Scripture talks about you and I having God's Word, it's talking about us doing battle. And I remember, as I mentioned in my sermon this morning, Jesus, you know, said, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. What's he talking about? He's talking about his Word being applied to every situation. And, and uh, we are, we're poor, miserable sinners because... The sinner in us doesn't like conflict. We want to be united. We want to just hug it out. We, you know, we want to say things like, you know, it's okay for you to believe what you want to believe. This is what I believe. As opposed to simply saying, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> See, that's different. See, Christianity, Scripture, makes exclusive claims upon the truth. So, do I have some concerns with... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, Supreme Court this last week, week and a half. <sighs> I don't want to get into that now. But, you know, when truth comes from God's word, then the Christian is called to cling to that. You know, and so we have to be very careful that even our own, you know, Constitution of the United States does not trump Holy Scripture. And that's why it's very difficult. You need to pray. Uh, you know, we have people here that are in, you know, Uh, civil service, um, their elected officials, please pray for them. They have a really tough job. They're trying to be good and faithful Christians, but at the same time, they have have sworn, you know, an oath to uphold the law of the land. And so what happens when the law of the land is contrary to God's word, right? I mean, we want people serving in those places. Um, I had a young man not long ago that that talked to me about, uh, you know, he's considered going into a situation that is obviously going to create some conflict with his beliefs. Um, So, you know, come back to God's Word. And at at some point, you know, yeah, we're going to have to make a stand. Um, (laughs) And you're all going to fail, and that's where Jesus says repentance needs to be preached. And so repentance, recognition of where you have failed, what comes now? Forgiveness of sins. And that's what's to be preached. And that started at Jerusalem, uh, starts now there on the mountain, uh, the same, same mount where Isaiah was called to sacrifice his son, by the way, uh, which uh, historically is understood as becoming the temple mount 
So, so the ram, uh, you know, who takes the place of Isaac now is Jesus, who becomes the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so all of it starts there, and then obviously through the diaspora, uh, through the rest of it, this, this whole beautiful message uh, of Scripture of who Christ is, you know, spreads throughout the world. Okay, let's get back to Marquardt, first full paragraph, 152. In other words, the spiritual predictions about Christ are properly understood when they are referred to his life, death, and resurrection. This, and not a millennium, is to be preached to all nations. So we don't, we don't preach this literal thousand-year reign. We don't preach that you're going to have some sort of second chance or Jesus is going to return secretly, you know, and, and all of a sudden you're in an airplane and the pilot gets raptured into heaven or you're in a bus and half the people are all of a sudden gone in a blink of an eye. That's a bunch of hooey-booey nonsense. Don't believe any of that, okay? That's all sent, but that's, those are all messengers of Satan to deceive you and frighten you and make you worry. And you as a Christian have Jesus you are saved, and he is your rock and your salvation. Now, to introduce here, Marquardt continues, the utterly irrelevant and anticlimax of a great political destiny for the nation of Israel is to falsify the Savior's teaching. Now, you Americans, we Americans, pay attention. Because a lot of what's being called for today is the same as what we see in Scripture. This great political destiny for our nation. We can be unified right? We, we can have this. <laughs> I'm going to call it for what it is. This is progressive utopianism. This is the belief that we can progress, get better, and that we can, we, can, we can all be equal and have everything we need. And you know what? It's a pipe dream because we're sinners and live in a sinful world. Scripture tells us that until Christ returns, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. Are you prepared for that? Because the Holy Spirit comes through his word to prepare you just for that. Okay. Now, again, when will Christ return? I don't know, but we're called to be prepared for that. Do we see things that are difficult now in our time? We sure do. But I can tell you this as well. I've talked with a, with a lot and ministered, shepherded a lot of people of the greatest generation. And a lot of them have told me over the years, and obviously there's, there's not many left of that generation now, um, that, uh, you know, when World War II came about, they thought that was going to be the end. <laughs> I mean, you look at literally the global conflict, you know, allied versus Axis forces and how, how that changed everything, right? So, I mean, and, and those even, even way back, I remember, you know, my, my grandma was born basically, you know, during World War I. And uh, so her earliest memories, you know, really are kind of after World War I, and that obviously affected, you know, our country. We, we came into that late. Um, but then you had the whole Dust Bowl. And for those in the Midwest, that was a real, <laughs> that was, those were real difficult times. The Great Depression. Um, and then you got World War II. And so, you know, I, I would say each generation has had a situation where they've said, wow, is this the time that Jesus is going to return? I mean, go back and just look at American history. And I bet every 50 years you can find something that really rocked, every 30 to 40 years probably, you know, that rocked our nation in some way, shape, or form. Okay? And so that's why it's important to be students of history as well. So what does that mean for us? I don't know. But our life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. Okay? In God. Um, and so have no fear, little flock. Okay? But uh, be careful jumping on that bandwagon of trying to, you know, uh, you know, that through our work we're going to create this unity or this justice and be especially mindful 
of when those that are promoting such unity are teaching and practicing things that are contrary to Scripture. Be especially mindful of that. St. Paul, next paragraph, also makes it very clear that those who believe in Christ constitute the true spiritual Israel. The church thus consists of Abraham's spiritual, not physical descendants. Theirs and theirs alone are the glorious promises of God, and whether they happen to be Jews or Gentiles makes not a scrap of difference. And so it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> what you look like, the color of your skin. You know, you might do the Ancestry.com or the, and I forget what the other one is. You do a DNA swab, what, 23andMe, and you find out that, uh, oh, I'm the son of a Viking, you know, or, uh, or, or whatever, or I've got, you know, Moroccan in me. Or, I mean, and, and that's all fine and good and interesting. And actually, I've been thinking about doing that because I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I have a pretty good idea and I'm an American candy bar, like probably most people are, right? So my, my, my dad, my mom, my dad's mom's side, 100% pure German, okay? Um, and then my dad's dad's side, that's where the, the McKay, Mackay comes from, uh, which is, uh, is, is Scottish, uh, Scottish, I, right? So we like Sean Connery, and, uh, uh, and I'm joking. And uh, I do like golf, though. Uh, and then my, my mom's side of the family, uh, they've got the uh, Swedish and Norwegian, right? Um, and so you put all that together and you get me, right? So, and, and probably same with you. But regardless of your ancestry or where you come from, the Holy Spirit now desires to bring to faith who? God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's not a knowledge that is reserved just for for Jews and those of the lineage. Okay. Uh, next paragraph, Christ's kingdom of grace or his church will remain under the cross until the end of time. Which means, why do we get so surprised when we have persecution? Or when we have suffering, right? Uh, you know, and we become, you know, chicken littles, you know, running around, the sky is falling, the sky, oh, it's so bad. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Suck it up, buttercup. I mean, Jesus said, that's what you're going to have. It's going to be difficult, okay? But he promises to provide for you. And, and so, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? I mean, that, that needs to be our, our cry. And as Luther said on his deathbed, you know, we are but beggars. I am but a beggar. It is true. Uh, we beg of God's mercy and, and strength, you know, to fight the good fight, okay? Earthly glory and dazzling success hold out false hopes. Uh, and so, that says it all. Nor should Christians be distracted from their heavenly pilgrimage and expectations by useless preoccupations with Middle Eastern politics. And again, he's, he's referencing here that whole thing of Zionism, uh, of the, the belief that some even some Christians have, that Jesus will return to Jerusalem. And we need to maintain Christian control of Jerusalem because that's where Jesus' seat of power will be when he returns for his thousand-year reign. That's a bunch of poppycock and hooey-bluey. Uh, don't, don't believe and follow any of that as well, okay? Um, as if these had any special theological significance. Marquardt continues, In a way, it is understandable that when the gospel and sacraments have been spiritualized down to mere pictures and illustrations... While at the same time, the symbolical visions of Revelation are taken literally, people should grope for something tangible to hold on to. So what do you have? Here's your catechetical examination from one of your pastors. What do you have tangibly to hold on to as a Christian? 
What do you have tangibly to hold on to? My son's shaking his head at me. You have nothing tangibly to hold on to? There is nothing tangibly applied to you or given to you at any point in your life or earlier this morning around 9 o'clock? Were you baptized? Yeah, I was there. I witnessed it. Okay. Um, Did I baptize you? Did I baptize Matthias? 2000. I was there. I don't know if I baptized. Was that Pastor Spomer? Okay. Well, first off, you had something tangible you can apply. God, through the pastor, poured water on your head while you screamed and pooped your pants, and he gave you his name. That's something tangible. And we have baptism certificates with witnesses that are signed. Why? That's tangible. So you have something you can hold on to in your baptism. Now, point two, what else do you have tangible that you received about 9 o'clock this morning, 9.15, somewhere around there? You ate and drank something. We had table fellowship. You ate and drank bread and wine that is the body and blood of Jesus. Is that tangible? Yes, it is. Absolutely. And so these are the things we focus on. But for other Christians, that gets twisted or ignored, right? Baptism means nothing. Baptism doesn't save you, they'll say. God can't do anything through simple water and word. It's a matter of of whether you've invited him into your heart or how well you are living or how much Jesus you have in your life. That's the mark of what it means to be a Christian. That's false. Now, certainly it's important to live as a Christian, to pray and do all that, but what defines you? What God has done for you. Same thing with the Lord's Supper, okay? And we got this with Lutheran churches now. Oh, we're so worried about the flu or COVID or whatever and forget about using wine and, you know, we'll give you a little grape juice cup or we just won't have it at all. Do I really need to go down this road with you? I mean, we cling to the tangible gifts of God and they are sacramental and they are mysterious. That's why we continue to offer the Lord's Supper here at Advent Lutheran Church. There has never been a time where we have not offered those gifts, even during our shutdown. And we did that as pastors for a reason, because of what God promises. Okay? But for other Christians, those things aren't important. So, there you go. What are the tangible gifts that God gives, and how is that part of your faith and your life that is hidden with Christ, okay? Marquardt goes on, okay? Um, It is not surprising that such substitute sacraments take the form of holy real estate in Palestine, so people, you know, trying to prepare for what they think will be Christ's return, or of breathless guessing games about the next twist in the cosmic soap opera of the late great planet Earth, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a book before I was born. I have read it uh, by Hal Lindsey, um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, let's move on from that. God's Word calls Christians away from all such false, arid, superstitious hopes and distractions. But the Lord calls us to be sober-minded. He calls us to, to sobriety, which doesn't mean that you can't enjoy uh, an alcoholic beverage, okay? Uh, it does mean that you, you know, should be appropriate with that. Okay, uh, don't don't let that rule your life or become an idol. Okay, um, calls us to be sober-minded and preparedness, and to a cheerful pursuit on earth of the path of duty and devotion. Okay, so don't be one of these Christians that goes through life like this. Oh, life is so bad. It's so difficult. 
I can never do this. I can never do that. So-and-so is doing this to me. Oh, my cross is so heavy. Smile! You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And yeah, you've got a cross to carry. Yes, you've got burdens. Yes, I mean, yeah, you've got a list. All of us do. But guess what? You don't carry it alone. Because Christ your Lord is with you, walks with you, right? And I know it's a little cheesy and smaltzy, but I often think of that Footprints poem. We had one hanging in our house years ago. I'm not sure what happened to it with, in the midst of the moves, right? But, you know, so you know, you know about this poem, right? You know, I went through my life and I looked back and, you know, and, I, and I saw two sets of footprints and, and during difficult times and good times. And, and then all of a sudden, there's only one set of footprints, you know, and the author of the poem, you know, is praying and talking to God, say, God, why did you, why did you leave me? <laughs> you know, and God said, there's only one set of footprints because they're mine. I carried you, right? Now, that, that's a little schmaltzy, but in, in many respects, it's true. So your life is hidden with Christ, and it's, it's Christ now who, who will care for you even when you, you, you know, you, you cannot care for yourself. And so, so, the, so there's some truth that we could connect to there. All right, let's finish up here this chapter, uh, and, and let's, let's just read together. This is uh, 677 uh, in our current hymnal, 463 in the other one. You ready? And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph on, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. Okay? Hey, chapter 8. We got 15 minutes to get into chapter 9. Any questions that popped up? No? Nobody emailing me to tell me that they want their membership uh, removed because they're upset about their pastor getting a little too long in the tooth or too direct? Good. Okay, that'll come this week probably. Editor's note, Why Christianity, Faith, Facts, and Reason. In his seminary apologetics course, Marquardt mentioned that as a parish pastor, he used to start adult instruction classes with a lesson on apologetics. He had initially planned to begin his doctrine book for lay people in a similar way with this chapter. However, in a 1987 letter concerning the book, then in progress, he wrote that this lengthy treatment of the question, why Christianity, might, quote, in view of formidable footnotes and complexities untypical of other chapters, perhaps appear as an apologetic appendix, rather than as an intimidating first chapter. He attached to his letter then a revised outline of the projected book that listed Why Christianity as the ninth and final chapter. We have kept it in just that place. So here we are at the ninth and final chapter. We're going to be covering apologetics. Um, you know, we, we had a couple of men's steak nights this year, and then that got shut down because of the whole COVID thing. And we started doing apologetics with our men, uh, 40, 50 some men that uh, came to those. And we're going we're gonna to pick that back up here in just a little bit. Okay, we got another men's night coming up. I think in July, we're going to be outside. We're going to play Beano, what do you call it here in Indiana? Huh? Cornhole. Yeah, that's what they call it in Nebraska, too. Uh, any of you ever played a game called Washers? This is big in St. Louis. It's a box that's like 16 by 16, 2 by 4 box, and it's got a, what is it, a 5 or 6 inch PVC pipe in the middle, and it's either filled with carpet or sand, and you take these very large washers, and you get three of those, and normally you paint them, and you toss them in the box, and you get one point if it's inside the box, three points if it's in the circle, 
And so, uh, as I was told, I was introduced to this in St. Louis years ago. They came up with this game because so many of the houses in St. Louis, they sit on very narrow lots. And so they had to have a game that they could play between the sidewalks that go up the house. And I don't know if this is true. This is just what I was told. And so they invented a game that could be either on either side of the sidewalk leading up to the house or the driveway, and they would toss these heavy-duty washers. It's a lot of fun, okay? I don't think, do we still have our old set? It's kind of falling apart. We have, oh, okay. I might have to build a new set and bring that to men's night here in July because uh, it's, it's a little different game, okay? Just be careful if you're wearing sandals because the washers, if you're standing really close, uh, they can break a toe. Okay, here we go. What is at stake? Is there a God? A question I'm sure you've probably thought about yourself or that has been asked of you by others. Or did the universe just pop up by itself? You know, was there, was there some sort of just boom, right? Uh, explosion, some sort of pivotal event. The answers to these questions have been hotly disputed in the marketplace of ideas. Why does this discussion seem to yield so much more heat than light, though? And that might apply to some of the questions we're also dealing with just in the news today. The reason is, no doubt, that what lies at stake are not remote academic uh, pedantries, but rather matters of the deepest and most practical import for every human being. It would not be difficult to multiply complaints like Maxine Schnall's, quote, where did we go wrong? I hear that question from everyone these days as if we are all victims of a massive shipwreck awash in the debris of our cultural values, the survivals struggle to keep from drowning in a limitless sea of options, end quote. Yet the real reason, Marquardt continues, why our culture has come unhinged is rarely faced. The tendency is to chatter all about the sorts of parochial details, especially those of the personal or psychological sort, but to miss the global picture. And that big picture is this. You ready? Western civilization minus God equals nihilism. <laughs> so you hear me referencing every now and then, you know, that we live in a, a postmodern, actually I like to say a post-postmodern age, okay? Um, because so many of us have been taught, uh, Nietzsche and others, that God is dead, okay? That he's dead. And so the only way to pull ourselves up from what our culture and society has become is to strap on our boots and, and get to work. And in that sense, you know, we become a superman, right? Uh, you know, supermen. And so you see this in uh, even if you like to watch Netflix, Amazon Prime, you follow whether it's Marvel or DC Universe, and you see this, this, this struggle against, you know, regular people against superheroes, okay? Uh, or, you know, supers or that sort of thing. Uh, and those who didn't have powers that now have powers, and vice versa. There's some interesting philosophy that is actually behind some of that, okay? Um, and I tell my wife that's why I watch some of those shows for the philosophy, and she just looks at me and laughs. Um, but uh, but it, it is, you know, all of our, our music, our TV, all those things are representative, representative of kind of where the culture is at. And I would also say where the devil is seeking to undermine. Okay, uh, so obviously be careful of what you expose your children to and yourself as well. Um, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> you know, I've read the Game of Thrones, uh, you know, book series, 
you know, I love the interplay of that. Uh, if you've watched any part of the TV series, it should just make you as a Christian want to puke. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, so, okay, let's move on. Uh, blah, 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 blah. One cannot juggle away the underpinnings and expect the elaborate structure they supported to remain standing as if nothing has happened. Marquardt continues, those who deny God have good reason to downplay the importance of what they are doing. Take the erstwhile tour guide of the cosmos, Carl Sagan. As viewers of his television spectaculars were dazzled by vistas of galaxies and supernovas, of vast radio telescopes and tiny viruses, this evangelist of secular humanism, now pay attention here to how Marquardt is, is identifying and calling out some of the false truths that, that are taking place. Okay? Um, <laughs> This evangelist, Carl Sagan of secular humanism, relentlessly drove home the point. The universe made itself, he said. God and creation are but ancient superstitions, and we ourselves no more than atoms whirling together briefly in a meaningless dance until the suns die and all is nothing again. But is this all? Beams, preaches Sagan. Is there nothing in here but molecules? Some people find this idea somehow demeaning to human dignity. For myself, I find it elevating that our universe permits the evolution of molecular machines as intricate and subtle as we are. Now, minus the Madison Avenue mask, the picture is considerably less cheery. That man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental uh, collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labor of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system that the whole temple of man's achievements must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be so safely built." So wrote, and some of you college students have probably read him, and I've, I've referenced him before, not necessarily in a positive way, Bertrand Russell, one of the 20th century's leading minds. His bleak vision, we must say, is at least honest and realistic, right? So what did we talk about? I mean, this, this world is going gonna, is gonna to come to nothing. The book of Revelation teaches us that people are going to fall away from the faith, the church is going to shrink, you know, not grow. Uh, people are going to serve their own desires. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, um, chaos. I mean, that, that's what will come, okay? Uh, and when things get really bad, then Christ will return um, and, and, and rescue, okay? So already in the 19th century, there were those who did not share the optimistic view that Christian ethics would be, could be preserved after Christian dogma had been given up. And let me repeat that because that's an important sentence. Okay? Already in the 19th century, there were those who did not share the optimistic view that Christian ethics could be preserved after Christian dogma had been given up. And I think that's a fair question today for us to ponder. Okay? So when Christian dogma is given up, okay, 
can Christian ethics be preserved? Or I would phrase it this way. When the truth of God's word, um, as for example, is spelled out in our Lutheran confessions, catechism, example, when that is rejected, uh, you know, can Christian ethics be preserved? I think that's a fair question. Okay. Can someone say sexuality doesn't matter, homosexuality isn't a sin, transgenderism isn't a sin, you know, sleeping around is not a sin, abortion not a sin, I mean, do I need to go on and so forth and say, but I'm still a Christian. So I still believe Jesus is my Savior, but I reject all these things Scripture speaks of. So now what you're saying is I, I reject now Christian dogma. I reject what Scripture teaches. Now, how is that going to affect your ethics or the way that you not only live your life, but the way that you interpret what's happening around? You, you see the problem? That becomes a real problem. Okay. Quote, we are living on the perfume of an empty vase, said the famous French infidel Renan. Dostoevsky and Nietzsche had seen with equal clarity, though from opposite poles, that with the rejection of God, morality was doomed as well. Dancing as he fancied, fancied on the grave of God, Nietzsche sneered and said this, Naivete, as if morality could survive when the God who sanctions it is missing? With God and his antiquated morality out of the way, Nietzsche expected the morally unfettered Superman to arise and to perform heroic feats, quote, beyond good and evil. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we are seeing this today. Let us rise up together. Let us build a tower to the highest heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us, let us, let us, let us. You need to go back and reread the story of Babel. And I'm not going to comment anymore on that. Because when mankind goes that direction and rejects who God is and what he says, even if it's in small matters, watch out. The 20th century has fulfilled this hope more terribly than even Nietzsche could have imagined. It has been a century of Hitlers and Stalins and their imitators down to the squalid little aspiring supermen who terrorize modern schools, subways, and neighborhoods. The liberation from traditional shackles has brought in its wake wholesale butcheries of human beings, born and unborn on an unprecedented scale. Quote, we are teaching savagery and are naively appalled at the success of our instruction, end quote. This grim judgment had in view not communist hordes, but our own Western public's education and entertainment. The verdict was rendered by Professor Duncan Williams in his aptly titled Treasured Apes. Let's see if I can get one more paragraph in. As a matter of plain common sense, if there is no intelligent creator before whom we are responsible, then ethics is no more than personal whim. And this is where we've talked before about the fact that Scripture claims absolute truth. There is exclusivity. Listed in Scripture. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. There's not many ways to get to heaven. You can't get to heaven through the prophet Muhammad. You can't get to heaven through Brigham Young or Joseph Smith. Only through Jesus Christ. You can't even choose to invite Jesus into your heart. That's how much of a sinner you are. Okay? So there's only one Savior. And in addition with that, 
Scripture is God's inspired, inerrant word. Okay? Uh, if man, let's see, as a matter of plain common sense, if there is no intelligent creator before him, we are responsible, then ethics is no more than personal whim. So what happens is truth for us becomes subject, subjective. I'll believe what I want, you believe what you want, and now we'll all try and get along. And now we've got to figure out how we're going to govern, how we're going to decide what is right and wrong. So when you say that, then you remove any type of foundation or absolute truth. Then Christ is no longer the cornerstone. And your cornerstone, you ready for this? Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. (laughs) Who's the cornerstone? The devil. Which is what Jesus accuses his disciples of when they believe contrary or reject what Jesus says. He says, your father is the devil. (laughs) Can you imagine the disciples' eyes when Jesus confronts them with that? But see, when we sin and we reject the truth of Scripture, that's exactly what happens. And we need to be called on that. We need to be called on that. Okay? If man is simply a freak of nature, then all of his cultural imaginings amount to a cosmic joke. He has no more dignity or significance than cats or cactuses, less, in fact, for cats and cactuses are blissfully unaware of their absurdity. So think about that. Save a, save a baby, go to jail. Save a, save a, be a hero, save a whale. Be a, uh, kill a baby. Well, oh, what does that t-shirt said? If, oh, anyway. But just think about it this way. You know, what would you get fined, and what would happen to you if you went and robbed an eagle's nest? Probably at least a $15,000 fine, possibly some time in jail. But what would happen if you killed a baby in the mother's womb? I'm just asking. So we have more laws and rights to protect creatures than we do humans. And so the big reversal in our culture has been that, that now humans are viewed just as, just as animals and maybe even less than animals, which is contrary to what God teaches us in Genesis about how they are made. Let me see if I can finish this real quick. Disposing of unwanted humans in that case is the same as exterminating roaches or bacteria. Indeed, statements like murder is evil or you shall not steal then belong to the same logical class as, quote, I hate asparagus, or in the case of one of my sons, I hate broccoli, or please pass the mayonnaise. It is all simply a matter of taste or preference, and let, of course, some lovers of asparagus or haters of mayonnaise should manage to seize the power to enforce their own irrational choices. In that case, prudence may dictate compliance, but certainly not ethics. It is hardly surprising that the one great certainty communicated by modern education is that everything is relative and that good and evil reside in the eye of the beholder. For those of you with children in the public system, okay, and there, there, are, there are good things in our public school. I'm not going to debate that with you, but you need, to be, you need to be aware of this. And you need to make sure that you are teaching your children that, that everything is not relative, that good and evil and truth reside in Scripture and from God, okay? So be very careful for that. We're going to stop. Oh, actually, almost done. A great deal rides on the question of God's existence. If there is a God, then an objective moral order makes sense. If not, man is up against cosmic chaos. It's everyone for himself. As Stephen Crane put it, a man said to the universe, Sir, I exist. However, replied the universe, the fact has not created in me a sense of obligation. So what we're taught is the uh, the universe doesn't care for you. 
Um, you have to care for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. Now compare that with the truth of Holy Scripture of who picks you up and carries you through all the ups and downs of life. And that's Jesus Christ, your Savior, and his work. Okay? Amen and amen. No questions popped up? Okay. Uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Peace be with you. See you soon. Bye-bye.